minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulia. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Simkavi, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author of A List of Demonic Names, A Pocket Guide for the Paranormal Investigator, Exorcist, Psychic, and Metaphysical Practitioner. Monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. You can find Ginger at www.tarotbyginger.com. And by the name, you can tell that she is a tarot reader. She's also a channeler. And she is great at giving guidance on situations where you didn't have to make a difficult decision or if you just want your cards read for fun that is also fine too and again you can find her at www.tarobyginger.com and now without further ado our guest for today is Zofia Renea Morales and she is the host of a talk radio program called Sovereign Self thank you for coming on today Thank you for having me, Gary. It's my pleasure to be here. Looking forward to talking about all kinds of wild and wonderful things with you. Yes, absolutely. I think one way, best way to start here is to give people a overview of your background because I was reading it in your bio. You know how you got beaten down pretty bad by life, and how you miraculously came back. Yeah, you know, and I used to think of it as life having it in for me. But now that I've come through everything, I look back on it with a different perspective. And I see it more in the context of my soul wanted me to wake up. <laughs> because I started in this world as a pretty, what do I want to say, logical, analytical, two plus two equals four kind of girl. Uh, it's got to be replicatable. I went into science, and then I went into corporate, and I did troubleshooting for a living. And it was all very cause and effect. There's only this 3D world sort of approach to life. Mm -hmm. And that life wasn't fitting me very well. And when your soul wants you to wake up, a lot of times it will do things to kind of hint at you to move in another direction, to expand your thinking. But I'm a very stubborn person. I was raised by a German and a Norwegian. And once I've got something in my head, that's where I'm going. Right. <laughs> and so I would walk through bookstores and these books would fall off the shelf in front of me. And I would pick them up and go, they need to shelve these things better and stick it right back on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and so when your soul wants your attention, eventually it will start taking your toys away. And we had a, a nice life. My husband and I, were we were dinks for many years, double income, no kids, um, both in professional careers and making very good money. We had bought a house. We had a couple of cars. We had some investment properties. We were traveling. Life was pretty darn good on the surface. 
It's all of the check boxes they tell you to check off when you're growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Get a good education, find a good spouse, get a career, you know, 2.5 kids and the picket yard, picket fence around the yard and um, had everything but the 2.5 kids. And it wasn't for a lack of trying. And then my health started to kind of go downhill. And I kept kind of putting that off. At some point, I'll have some time to deal with this. I don't have time to solve this problem right now. Yes. <laughs> he just made great big bug eyes at me. He's like, seriously, lady? <laughs> and so I continued focusing on my career and doing my thing. And I got sicker and I got sicker. And my soul is like lining things off of my list. My husband's career started to become unstable and he needed to go back and get another degree. And so his income was kind of on again, off again. And so I'm kind of primary breadwinner and it's getting harder for me to hold down a job because I'm sick all the freaking time. I don't even have to leave the house to get sick. And pretty soon I, I really can't hold down a job. And then we're in bankruptcy and then... I can't even remember what I'm doing in order to prepare dinner. That's how bad my short-term memory is getting. Mm -hmm. I will go into the kitchen to make a simple 30-minute meal, put together a salad, cook a couple of steaks, something like that, easy. And it will take me three hours because I literally don't remember why I'm there or what I'm doing from moment to moment. And so I end up off on these tangents that have nothing to do with making dinner, I get back to circle back to making dinner and it's like, wait, what was I making for dinner? It was, it was terrible. <laughs> and so here, my soul's there with the big black marker. Now we're going to cross off her towering intellect. <laughs> <laughs> See if she's going to pay some attention. And so finally I made it my mission to head up my, my health journey. Okay because it was clear that my, my general practitioner wasn't up to it. She'd sent me to a whole bunch of specialists and they're all in their little ivory towers testing me for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and fibromyalgia and all the things. And they're not finding the reason why. And so I decided if it was going to be, it was up to me to really head that up and start directing that with me as like the quarterback of that team instead of giving that over to the doctor. And so I started doing research into different areas and the reasons that you might be exhausted all the time and why you might come down with things all the time. And I came to the conclusion that I wasn't going to find the answer by going to a specialist. I needed more of a generalist and I started looking for a functional medicine doctor. And I, I looked for the unicorn in functional medicine, which is the one that takes insurance. <laughs> <laughs> They're very hard to find. Uh, but my soul hooked me up with one. There was one, exactly one, in the area that we were in at that point. And I went to him, and he ran all the tests. <laughs> when, they, when they went to draw blood, she comes over with this rack of test tubes, and I'm thinking to myself, why is she bringing everybody's test tubes over? <laughs> 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 and so I, I needed a blood transfusion after that. Um, but he did find the answer, 
to what my problem was. It turned out I had long-standing Lyme disease, chronic Lyme, some people would call it. And it turns out Lyme is a relative of syphilis. If you remember your high school sex ed class, syphilis will eat your brain if it is left untreated. Yeah, that's what took out Nietzsche. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's a nasty way to go. And that's actually the stage that I'm at with my Lyme disease is it has crossed the blood-brain barrier and is starting to destroy my brain. And so I need to do something about this now, not a couple years down the road when we're out of the bankruptcy, but right now. And the guy that diagnosed it is the regional specialist in Lyme. All the other doctors send their patients to him when their Lyme isn't responding the way that they need it to. And so he comes with this plan. He's got a two-year plan, 70% success, yay. And I started running the price on that and went, mm, I'm going to need help from insurance with this. So I called the insurance company because the tally I got was like $27,000 for the first years of treatment. Oh, that's <laughs> like, not bad. Oh, $27,000 for the first year. It's going to be over 50 by the time you're all said and done in year two. And so I called him up and said, Gave them the whole thing. You know, here's the diagnosis. He's got the plan. How much are you paying? And her response was literally this. We don't believe in chronic Lyme. Mm. <laughs> well, isn't that convenient for you guys? And so the upshot of that conversation was insurance was not going to play. They were going to pay for 60 days of oral antibiotics. And oh, by the way, your doctor is no longer in network. And that was a really dark moment for me because that was the only thing I could think of to help me actually get the help that I need. And my husband is working at a third of what he normally does. We're in the bankruptcy. We're not getting any loans. He's working full-time, going to school full-time. There's no time for him to pick up a second job. I can't make dinner in three hours. There's no way I'm employable doing practically anything. So where is this money for the treatment supposed to come from? And I sat with it for a while, and I decided to do something I was told by my parents to never do, which is to call them and ask for help. I've been informed when I'm 18, I'm out of the house, and my shit is my shit, and don't bring it back to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I figured this might perhaps be the one exception in that moment. Uh, because I know what the problem is, we know what the answer is, we get over that hurdle, and then I'm a contributing member of society again, and I can do things like pay people back instead of just die and be buried. And I called my father, and that particular day, the bank of dad was empty. And that was a really tough moment for me, because now I really am out of options. And that night, I went to bed next to my husband, and my brain is like this trapped squirrel. It's like, well, maybe you can do this. Maybe you can get a loan. Maybe you can do the other. And it's hitting all of these dead ends that I've already mentioned. And it was around 3 in the morning that I just flat out had no more energy for any of it any longer. 
some people would paint it pretty and say, I surrendered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was not a pretty moment. It was a moment of exhaustion and emptiness. But the beautiful thing about ceasing to struggle in that moment and accepting that I had no answers is it allows for awareness of other possibilities to start to arise. And the possibility that presented itself in that moment was, I have not prayed. And I have not prayed in decades. I was raised in a household of very strict fundamental religion. And I'd been told a great many things about God that were, I believe in my core to be untrue, that God is a jealous God, a vindictive God, all of this kind of stuff. And it, it took several decades to pick apart that God was not what religion said God was. And I decided in that moment that I would pray to the God in my heart, the God that I knew in my heart. And I said, God, I will do anything to get better. Without any expectation of an answer, because, you know, you hear stories about people who pray and pray and pray and pray for months and months on end and never get any, <laughs> any answer, right? I'm like, I would just put it out there and there it is. But I got my answer straight away in the form of a little tiny voice that said, really, anything? And the voice had a point. There aren't a lot of edges on anything. It's really blanket kind of promise. And so I thought about my edges and what I knew about the God that I understood in my heart. And he's not going to ask me to lie, cheat, steal, hurt someone, become an axe murderer. That's not the God that I know and understand. And so to be very clear about who I'm making this promise to, I said, God, for you, I will do anything. And I got my first miracle because I fell asleep. And I awoke in the morning with a clarity that I had to go get one of these clearing IVs that the, the functional medicine guy offered, mm -hmm. even though I had no idea where the 250 bucks was coming from. That was my next step. So I went and I did that. And that day as I'm sitting in the infusion room, the doctor walks in, which is super unusual. It's not where he usually shows up. So I waved him over and explained that insurance is out of the picture. I'm now a cash pay client who's in a bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know what my options are here, but, you know, how can you work with somebody who's in this circumstance? And he smiled, which really surprised me. I expected him to go, oh, this is terrible news, right? He says, no, insurance is out of the picture. Now the handcuffs are off. You can have all the choices. I'm like, oh, well, do tell what are the other choices, right? And he shares that they have a naturopath herbalist who's on their staff. His office visits aren't covered by insurance, but they're half the price of the doctors. And he's got an amazing track record with parasites. And Lyme is a parasitic infection. So that's a beautiful thing. And he treats it all with herbs. And that kind of thing goes for like 30 to $40 a bottle as opposed to, you know, 250 to thousands for exotic antibiotics. So I'm like, okay, well, this appears to be a step in the right direction, <laughs> at least a direction mm -hmm. I can afford. 
And I have to come clean and say that this is not a direction I'd have gone even a week earlier. I'd have, the scientist would have sat down and said, are you freaking kidding me? You're going to send me to an herbalist? <laughs> it's all, you know, rumor and, and folk tales. But I don't have any choice at this point. It's my option, so I'm taking it. And I went to see the herbalist. And this is usually the point in the story that I forget to tell you, that the herbalist cured my Lyme disease in three months as opposed to like the two-year plan that the conventional doctor had. So that worked out well for me. But the reason I usually forget to tell this is because this is where the woo part of my story really picks up. Uh, because while I was sitting in his waiting room, I happened to be looking for something to while away the time because he was running late. And there was a book sitting on one of the tables. I'm not a magazine kind of girl, so the book got my attention. And I picked it up, and on the cover it says, The Emotion Code. And so that was really intriguing to me. As I mentioned, raised by a German and a Norwegian. So what I was taught about my emotions is you shouldn't have any. And should you inconveniently have an emotion, especially an ugly emotion like anger or frustration or upset, you should push that down and carry on regardless. Now, this is terrible emotional advice. And I spent decades in talk therapy. <laughs> You know, trying to pick apart a bunch of the stuff that I've shoved down over the course of my life. And while talk therapy is helpful, and it helped me do a lot of things, I left my abusive first husband as a result of the support that I got in therapy. Uh, it did not ever, what do I want to say, take the heat or the ickiness out of the suppressed emotions. The triggers that went along with that wounding always mm -hmm. seemed to remain there regardless of how many therapy sessions I had. And so I figured if this guy understands the code to emotions, I want to know. <laughs> and so I'm starting into this book and then the owner of the book came back for it. Ugh! And so <laughs> now I got to find the book. But I, long story short, I found the book and started using it like an instruction manual. It's like, okay, this is what you do. All right, that's what I'm going to do. And it's working. Finally, some of the heat and the triggers are starting to get picked apart. And I'm like, well, this is pretty darned awesome. And so by the time I got to the section on heart walls, I, w I was sold. This guy had me, I, I'm drinking all of his Kool-Aid because hmm. <laughs> it's working. And I knew I had a heart wall. I didn't have to even muscle test for that. And that's, that was one of the tools that he taught in this book was muscle testing. And so I'm taking down my heart wall. And in the process of taking down the heart wall, strange shit started happening. I believe that's the scientific term for it. <laughs> <laughs> I started seeing dead people. I started seeing angels and sprites and devas. I started seeing the past. I started knowing things about the future. And the scientist in me is writing things off as fast as she can. It's like, well, you have a really creative imagination. Or perhaps you've got a bit more brain damage than you realized, my dear. 
And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if I tell anyone at this point, they're going to send the guys with the white coat and the wraparound sleeves for me sometime soon. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a very comfortable moment. And when you're in the process of waking up, your God squad is what I call them now. <laughs> your angels and your guides and your masters, the ones who are here to support you through this embodiment experience, uh, they will get creative and bring to you what you need to be convinced. And so each of these instances is more obvious and more intensely not within the realm of what this scientific mind knows and understands. And there was one afternoon that I spontaneously came out with a prayer in Hebrew. Now, I'm raised by a German and a Norwegian in northern Minnesota. (laughs) It's not like I'm exposed to any kind of Judaic religion or or culture to speak of. It's not like I gained this in osmosis somehow. And the best that the scientists could come up with on that one was, you sat Seder one time when you were in college. You must have remembered it from that one exposure. Really reaching, in my opinion, but it was the best explanation that I had. And so they continued up the ante, and it was a few days after that, I came home from Trader Joe's. And I see my neighbor staggering under her husband's weight, trying to get him in the house. He's doubled over in what's clearly a great deal of pain. So to heck with the ice cream, I'm going to get him in the house And so I'm helping her in with him, getting into the house, and she's explaining that his kidneys have gotten so very bad, and she's got to go get an emergency appointment for him. Can I just stay with him for a while? Fabulous, you know, make the phone call, just, you know, stay with him. And, you know, there's nothing you can really do to make him comfortable. Kidney pain is not position dependent or anything like that. So we're just standing in the living room and I'm holding his hands to provide what comfort I can. And he closes his eyes and I can see his lips are moving. And I know them both to be very devout people. I would describe them as the best kind of Christians. They have that personal relationship with God. They live their their service out into the world. They help everyone that they come into contact with, and they're not judgmental or pushy that, well, you have to, you know, believe the way I believe. And so I know he's having a moment with his God, and I don't want to intrude on that privacy. So I went ahead and closed my eyes. And as I closed my eyes, I saw this little flame in my mind's eye, and it looked a bit like a pilot light. It's on the edge of going out. You know how they kind of flicker and dance right before they go poof. And I'm given this knowing that that's where he's at right now with his life and his life force. He could at any moment go poof and be out of here. And I'm pretty certain that the scientists didn't ask this question I suspect it may have been higher self that asked this question. And it was, can we do something about that? And the instant that thought was fully formed, that little flame became like a bonfire. And I don't know how big it got because he dropped my hands and my eyes whipped open to see what was wrong. (laughs) And he looks at me and says, are you a healer? 
And I'm looking around to see who he's talking to because no, not over here. Mm -mm. No, that that's that is pure folktale right there. Uh, no. And his wife came back in the room and saved me from having to come up with an answer. And she said she's got the appointment. We hustled everybody out to the car because they had to go right now. And I hid in my house for two days. While the scientists convinced me that nothing had happened. And then my upbringing nagged me because in Minnesota, when your neighbors are in trouble, you shovel their walk, you bring over a casserole or some soup or something. <laughs> anything you can do to to make things a little easier for them. And so after two days, I decided I would go over and check in on them, fully expecting to hear that she's planning a funeral or she's got to go back to the ICU or something along those lines. And I tapped on the door and she answers it with a smile. Oh, okay. So maybe it's not as bad as I've convinced myself it might be. And she invites me in. I go into the living room, and there is Jay. He's kicked back in his Barca lounger, and he's got his drink at his elbow, and his book, and his remote, and he's looking fat and happy. Like, how you doing, Jay? <coughs> what the doctor say? And he says, you know, it was the strangest thing. By the time I got to the doctor, I was feeling pretty good. And they ran the usual battery of tests. And my kidney function came back normal. I haven't had kidney function that's normal in a great many years. And this man had a, a pile of documentation saying that his kidneys were shot. Mm -hmm. And yet now his kidneys are functioning normally. And that was the moment at which the scientists had to sit down and shut the fuck up. And I started to look back on the events of the previous couple of weeks with a different lens. And since then, I've moved into the world with more of a what-if stance. What if there really is something more than what we can see and measure and explain as scientists? Hmm. And it was also the moment that I had to accept that perhaps this might be part of that anything I had agreed to. Wow. So that's how I got into the woo world. <laughs> <laughs> I came kicking and screaming. <laughs> and so so after that, though, like once you've had that realization, did your life improve? Yes, my life improved in a whole lot of ways. None of the ways that I would say my conscious mind expected it to improve. I mean, we were still in bankruptcy there were still struggles. I still had a long road with my health recovering fully because Lyme disease destroys a lot of things. And so it can be a long road to rebuild even after you've gotten rid of the, the destructive force. So it was, I would say, a three-year journey to get back to kind of a quasi-normal moment um, and then we've been rebuilding financially and that kind of stuff since I would say it took a decade really to completely return to what I want to say, a life of financial calm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but life has been much more comfortable to wear in a lot of ways. Not that there aren't still dramas and setbacks that happen. 
I'm the primary caretaker for my father. My mother's getting old. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened on that side of things. Um, but I have better tools now. And I want to say a broader perspective on what these things are and what they might mean and the opportunities particularly that come along with these things in our life that we call setbacks and uh, disasters. So what is it you think happened to you? I mean, do you think you reached enlightenment or anything like that? What happened? Oh God, I think enlightenment is an ongoing balance. I would say I've had moments of enlightenment. I think what happened for me is a combination of things. There was an aspect of what some people would term kundalini awakening, the quickening of God within us. Um, because God really is omnipresent. That's one of the things that I would say the religion of my childhood had right. God is literally everywhere. Um, in all of the people and animals around you, all of the objects in your world, and why God, every little tiny bit of you, is also made up of God's stuff. And so I think I gained a close connection to that unseen reality of our reality. Um, I would love to say I'm enlightened. I think I've had moments of enlightenment. <laughs> My ego would like mm -hmm. to claim that, of course. Uh, but there are definitely still moments where I'm nowhere near enlightened. So <laughs> I will only say there are moments. Most of the people that I've talked to have had Kundalini awakenings. Um, I mean, one, one of the things that is similar is like they had reached a point where of desperation, where, you know, like they're ready to either kill themselves or just completely give up. And then something happens. But a lot of people have described to me seeing colors, hearing music, hearing voices, um, feeling bursts of energy going through their bodies. Did you experience yeah, it, any of it that? It turns on all of your psychic sentences when God wakes up inside of you. And it can be very amazing and uplifting if you're prepared for that. And it can be freaking traumatic if you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had a friend who had it happen to him and he never wants to happen to him again. Yeah, spontaneous kundalini awakening is scary. There's a reason that when you set about deliberately awakening your kundalini, you do it with a master and it takes a number of years because you, you work through your stuff, you work through your issues, you clear the way for it to be a beautiful, open, expansive experience. And if you've not done that preparatory work, it gets hung up in places where it doesn't expect to get hung up. It comes out in ways that you don't want it to come out. And it's extremely uncomfortable and it's extremely intense. And it's very hard to put that back in the bottle. Mm. Yeah. I've been trying my entire life to have that experience. I took Kundalini yoga 
with a student of Yogi Bhajan. I've studied with um, Tibetan masters. I've studied with Zen masters. And I don't think I've experienced it yet. Yeah. Yeah, and it will happen in the moment that's right. Well, I don't want to go through what you went through. <laughs> you do or you don't? I, I don't. miss that. I don't. don't. I'm, if, I, if I actually probably... I already have anyway, so. <laughs> but it has, yeah. I've never had that awakening, you know. Like, I'm looking at you right now, and you're just like, everything's good, despite, you know, even the things that are going on in your current life now with your parents and the financial stuff. It's like it never ends. But how does a person become so spiritually sound that they're unaffected by everyday life. Hmm. I think there is a stage at which you become unaffected by daily life. I'm not there yet, but I will say that the moments of human reaction are getting shorter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you think about when life was really good and something terrible happened to you, you know, you're you're on the verge of graduating and your girlfriend leaves you, right? Um, the human reaction is, oh my God, this is awful. I loved her so much. We had so much potential, right? And you go through all of like the breakup emotions. It's terrible, 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 terrible. And you don't have any, what do I want to say, perspective on the gift that might come in the wake of this especially if it was like your first girlfriend. Uh, so that's kind of what it's like every time you have a setback initially, right? Because your brain had this plan and you get attached to the plan and the vision that your brain had. And I think I, I do still have that reaction, right? When something comes in and it changes my plans but it's a much shorter reaction now hmm. and it's easier for me now to shift into curiosity curiosity is my good friend on this journey curiosity how is this serving me is the next question that i deliberately invite in okay it sucks it wasn't what i was expecting i've gotten through the reaction on that how is this serving me now and the universe will answer all the questions that you ask it. And that was a big lesson in my journey, was be very careful the questions that you ask. So I've released a lot of the questions that you're raised to express. The, why does this shit always happen to me and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Not useful questions to ask the universe, and it's not really something you want the answer to. Um, so what I like to invite people to do who are on the journey is allow that reaction to happen. There's a lot out there in the, the new age woo-woo world that's like, oh no, you should always remain high vibe, don't go there. No, you do have to allow that emotional wave to pass through. So let it pass through. It's there as a messenger. If it has a message for you, receive that message, right? Because all of our emotions are there to help or serve or protect us in some way. Anger lets you know that your boundaries have been violated. And 
it becomes an invitation into, were you clear with other people what your boundaries were? Did you communicate that? Does this person respect your boundaries when you communicate it to them? Is this a relationship uh, where that can be established or is it a relationship that you might need to allow to expire? Um, it always brings messages with it. And so allow the wave of emotion, receive the messages, take the action that's appropriate to take, and then let it go and get curious. What is it that this is clearing the way for? Because it's interesting, we ask for many things when we pray and when we make our plans in life and we strive. And in our minds, we tend to think we can keep every little thing that we have and add this other big thing on top of it. And 98% of the time, that is not how that works. If you want that beautiful expanded kitchen, you have to knock down the back wall of your house and live with tarps and, and construction debris for a few weeks while you're going through the process of digging up the backyard and laying a new foundation and framing in new walls and then eventually putting in that amazing expanded kitchen that you had in your mind. Our lives are a lot that way. And so when we look at our lives and go, God, if only my partner would respect me more. And you're praying for a relationship where you receive mutual love and respect. Sometimes the other half of that relationship has to go. Sometimes that relationship has to expire for you to have the relationship of your dreams to show up into that space. Sometimes the other half of the relationship will decide to work on it with you and have that same vision, but you don't have control over that because that's a free choice thing by the other partner, partner in the relationship. And so it's important to know when you're inviting something big and profound into your life, that you may have to let go of a few things. You may have to empty your hands to make space for that to arrive. Who wants to do that? No one likes to do that voluntarily. We want the change, but we don't want to have to change to have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why curiosity serves us well when the setbacks start to arrive. Hmm. How about the small things? Sometimes the little things are what... Sometimes like the big oh. things I can handle, but I'll just give you an example, okay? Yeah. I went to the store right before, after work and I bought a blueberry muffin. I said, man, I'm going to eat this muffin before I go to bed. I sit it on the counter, right? Yeah. I go to the bathroom. I come out. My dog was eating my muffin. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> All I want is my muffin back. I've been mad for three hours now over this blueberry muffin. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's really it's, bad. It's frustrating. It, 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 I don't know what's worse than that. <laughs> you had your wonderful anticipation of your blueberry muffin destroyed. Completely destroyed. Yeah. And if you look at that situation, the blueberry muffin that you were looking forward to so much, and you look at your dog, and you look at the relationship and the rules around whether there's, he's supposed to be up on the counter helping himself to blueberry muffins. 
what how has that been he's got to stay off the counter yeah. but he doesn't as soon as i turn my back mm-hmm. he's devious yeah he might even be evil oh <laughs> or he might be inviting you into a possibility of perhaps inviting a dog trainer into your life who can help you set that boundary no i'm his trainer you're his trainer. <laughs> yeah, it, those are the, the things that are sometimes the hardest, right? Because they tend to arrive in the moments where you're tired and you don't have a lot of reserves left for the rest of the day. You just wanted this one thing to be able to go. <sighs> and it's sometimes, gone. Take it away yeah. from me. It's like the hand of God came down and took that muffin. It's like God is punishing me. He's like, no, you're not having this. You're not allowed to be happy. That's an interpretation. Um, It might be that he's also looking out for your your blood sugar levels and your cholesterol. I don't care about that. I know you don't care about that right now, but overall it's important for helping you remain alive and healthy in this world. It Mm. also offers you an opportunity to find a different way to support and comfort yourself. That has nothing to do with the physical. I'd rather have the muffin. I mean, if I have a choice <laughs> of si- if I have a choice of sitting down and meditating for twenty minutes and trying to calm my mind, or simply eating a blueberry muffin, the muffin wins. Yeah, you're going with the muffin, okay? There's no way to solve that problem. Hmm. There are ways to solve that problem, but you're. You're telling me you're not incentivized to move down those roads to solve that particular problem. So, so what does it what too. does it take for a person to get to that point? <sighs> it's part of the releasing of expectation and the getting curious, and it happens in small steps. And you just actually took one of those small steps right now by asking me about the possibilities. No, willingness is not a step. Yes, it sure is. If you are unwilling, nothing happens beyond that. Mm-hmm. And because you asked me about the possibilities, I, I shared a few that came to my mind. I'm sure there are others that may come to your mind as you're falling asleep tonight and your subconscious is able to communicate more directly with you. What I'm probably going to get do is get dressed after this podcast. And go, and go another find muffin. another damn blueberry muffin. <laughs> And that's a good option as well. Because <laughs> no matter how much God does not want me to have that muffin, I'm going to have it. Well, I'm you gonna... have free will. You can always go get another blueberry muffin. And this time it goes in the refrigerator where the damn dog can't get to it if you have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was looking at somebody. Like, like you, you do some online services and, and do a lot with helping other people. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I, uh, I do a lot of what I would call bespoke work um, about deliberately bringing people into a more balanced set of emotions. Some people are inspired to... Um, I want you to work with me as I move further into enlightenment. 
uh, one of the things that I do to expedite enlightenment is I start to remove some of the virtual reality gear that we bring in with us when we embody in this physicality, uh, because that allows you to more easily see the bigger picture, to be able to look at the dog, the refrigerator, the blueberry muffin, and even inside yourself and begin to see little glimpses of the God stuff that's in there. Um, and so it's all in what your goals are and what your objectives are. I've helped people f with really mundane things like I can't seem to bring clients into my business to, you know what, I want to open up my psychic gifts. I want to be more in tune with the rhythm of the divine in this world. And so, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So you can help you become more psychic? I do help people develop their psychic gifts. Absolutely. And it's one of the most useful tools you can have as a seeker in this world to be tuned into your particular set of psychic giftedness. And to that end, I created a quiz called the What is Your Number One Spiritual Superpower Quiz? And people can find that at superpowerquiz.us. And it takes just a couple of minutes to go through. And it gives you a peek into the mirror so you can see what is special about you. Because it's very easy to look at other people and go, ooh, if only I was gifted the way Gary is or the way Sophia is. And you're not going to be gifted exactly the way you are or I am because we each come with a unique, unique blend of gifts. And so I want you to be able to see what's special about you. So mm. that's superpowerquiz.us. I don't know if I have any gifts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you do. I don't think so. Yeah? Why would you say this? Hmm? Why would you say this? You know, here's... Here, actually, here's why I would say this. Because if one person is gifted, mm -hmm. then that means another person is not gifted. Which creates an unequal playing field. Except that each of us is gifted just in a different place. It's like saying Michael Jordan cannot be gifted at basketball because that would create an uneven playing field in the realm of spirit, uh, the realm of physical sports ability. Mm -hmm. And that is a fact in this world. There is an uneven playing field when it comes to sports ability. I have like next to none. Um, but I certainly can catch a ball. And I can certainly pass to somebody. And I, I did a little bit of sports stuff when I was in high school, but I was never going to set the world on fire with that. And I think spiritual gifts are very similar. We all have, what I want to say, some basic ability in every area, but some of us have exceptional ability in certain other areas. And that's the truth, whether it's in reading, writing, and arithmetic, or if you're talking about being able to ha have clairvoyance or clairsentience or clairaudience or my strongest gift, which is clear knowing. So what do you know about me? 
What do I know about you? <laughs> I try not to peek into other people's business uninvited. <laughs> I'm, I'm inviting you. <laughs> You're inviting me. How my clear knowing works generally is somebody comes to me with a problem and says, here's my problem. And as they're telling me about their problem, I'm shown insights about what's going on with their problem. Like the blueberry muffin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they don't always like my insights. They don't always agree with my insights. But something always shifts around it from the interaction. I don't know if that answers my question. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so, so when you have a clear knowing, what is that like? You just, boom, you know something, right? It's like a, a very strong intuition, you know, like, like, like walk into a room and you know, this person's good or, you know, that person is not good. Or, you know, that, that, um, you're supposed to be somewhere at a certain time. So you'll be in the right situation, right time, time, right time and place. Shall I describe what it seems like to me? Yes. Yes. Okay. So when you think you have certain thoughts that you're used to, right? Your normal everyday thoughts, it's like, well, I should do this and I've got this list of stuff to do and blah, 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 blah. I've got these plans. Um, that kind of mind chatter stuff that goes on. And I have the normal mind chatter stuff that goes on. And it usually has a lot of emotion tied up around it. I really want to do this. There's a lot of desire to go this way or I really don't want that to happen or there's fear or anxiety or whatever attached to these thoughts. When I have a clear knowing, it's very quiet. It's very clear and it's just the facts and there's no emotional content attached to it whatsoever. It, it just arrives. So for example, say we were having a conversation and you told me I've, I've got this lump over here and this and that and that, the other, um, it might arrive in my mind. It's cancerous, but benign. And it would be a just the facts kind of thing. And then I might have an emotional reaction to that, which might be relief. Okay, good. I don't have to tell him to go get something really nasty checked out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but the emotional reaction to whatever that news is, is very separated from the original thought. It's not part bound up as part of the thought process. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between that and being claircognizant? Claircognizant is just the word for clear knowing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same thing. It's just they said it in French and it sounds fancy. Hmm. Because that's kind of like what I would consider myself also. I've been, you know, reading tarot cards. I've been doing this stuff forever, you know. However, for me, it's much more complicated. Mm. It's not like I just know one single thing, you know. It's, it's not even like I actually know it. You know, it just it comes just, to me. It just arrives. That's yes. exactly right. Yeah, it just it, it, arrives, yeah. fully formed. There's in whatever no thought form. process to it. It's just yep. it, it'll appear. But what happens though? It's not just one thing that appears. Usually, it's a mixture of of um, thoughts. Usually, in intuitions. Sometimes um, it's also 
um, maybe a physical feeling. Mm-hmm, it could be a, a taste. It, 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 it could be any of the other clairs that are out there. And then they try to, you know, what happens to me or what will trip me up is if I try to make sense of it. Yeah. Because then I'm taking my, I'm running it through my filter. I'm running it through my brain to, to make sense of it. But yes. if I, if I take it from just what it is in that instant, just the raw data of, yeah. of what the experience is, even though it makes absolutely no sense to me. Just share the raw data because that's what the person on the other side understands. Mm-hmm. Because they have the context for it. Yeah. But for you, it's just a clear knowing there's no other bits and pieces that throw how, you off sometimes. How best to describe it is um, because I don't just get knowledge. A lot of times I will. It To me, it feels like the remembering of something I've seen or the remembering of something I've heard. Uh and I make that distinction because I don't believe most of the time when I get visual mm-hmm. that it's actual clairvoyance. I think it's just the knowing of the seeing rather mm-hmm. than actually seeing, if that makes sense. Right. Like if I were to do it for you, I would yeah. say that you're still afraid of stuff. Oh sure, I have. That's, that's kind of what I pick human. up from you. Like, like you, you still have, you still have some fear and you still have some concerns. Yeah, I'm, I'm still human and I still have a lot of like the programming that we're raised with, right? What do you yeah. think of death? <sighs> I have a lot of what I want to say mixed emotions around death. Um, there are beautiful aspects of death that I really. I see and relate to much more now than I used to previously. I think the concerns that I have around death are mostly unfounded, which are that it might hurt. This is for myself personally. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Uh, but what, I, what I've known from people who've been through like near death, it, it's not actually physical, physically painful once they're no. into it. Um, and I think I still have a lot to learn around grieving, which is something that I was taught to avoid very much growing up. So I still have some work to do around that to clear that kind of mess out. Because what I know and understand at this point about death from having talked to crossed over dead people and what have you, um, it's a beautiful thing. It's graduation, it's your reward. Hmm. on the flip side of that what do you think the meaning of life is or is there a meaning is it just a random set of events for us to suffer through or is no. there an actual purpose and I think and, 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 and I, don't know if I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm going to accept sometimes. the lesson answer either yeah there, there is I think sometimes a lot of meaning a purpose to what happens even though it looks pretty chaotic on the surface Mm-hmm. And I think it has the meaning that you want to give it. Um, I ascribe to the God breathed out in order to experience what otherness is. And this world is a very extreme experience of otherness. Mm-hmm. And we 
if you think about this world of duality we're in, we have all the extremes. We have people who are so close to God and it's like all is one and and have reached that enlightenment state and we have people who are like God does not exist. This is all we get. You become, you know, dust and worms when it's all over with. It has no meaning. Okay. It's got that full range of existence. It's got people who are compassionate and loving and who want to do the right thing. It's got people who are in the middle, who are good and bad in equal measures, and it's got people who are just rotten through the core. Uh, because these are all experiences that a body can come here to have. And whether you look at it as a great big one-room schoolhouse or just that God breathed out to have this immense array of experience of otherness, I think it's all in the meaning that you want to put around it. But I don't think we do it only once. I've come to that very firm conclusion. We do it many times. Okay. So you believe in reincarnation and do you believe do you believe in reincarnation and do you believe in um con- soul contracts and spirit guides and soul families and groups and all that? I believe in a great deal of that stuff now. I didn't used to um but I, I now look at people's soul contracts as a starting point for solving their real-life problems here in this world. And it does seem to align. It seems to jive with what they've brought into this world. And when we go back and we renegotiate one, it seems to change their reality pretty dramatically. So I do believe that there is a plan. We come with a plan. I think of it like a reverse moonshot almost. It's like we sit down with the whole team and we create this plan and what we're going to do and what are the objectives for what you're trying to experience and the experiments you're going to do. And it all gets put together and you get you put on your little earth suit <laughs> and you embody and you go do the thing. But you still have a bunch of people in Houston who are there looking out for you and going, okay, yeah, if you go down this road, you're going to miss out on this experience you were hoping to have. So let's see if we can arrange some things so that you might take a different turn. And you're the leader of the mission down here. You can decide what it, what you want it to mean, how much you want them involved or don't want them involved. Can it help? Can it help alleviate suffering? Absolutely. Absolutely. But they have to be asked. They can't impose it on you because free will. And so if you want to release suffering and sorrow, you can ask for that help. Absolutely. Can we bring back my blueberry muffin? I don't think you'd want it in the form it currently is in. (laughs) 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 Just saying. (laughs) I like the plan of going and getting another one better. It, how how do people get in touch with that part of themselves? You know, I you know I I didn't necessarily believe that either, but now I sort of do. You know, the hard part hard thing for me has been to accept the fact that I would purposely sign up for this. Like, why would have I signed up for this particular? Life. It does not make sense. I would have much. It's fucking dense down here. I would have much. But not just that. I'm fine with the density. But I would much rather have been a 
Keith Richards. <laughs> I love all I really ever wanted in my life was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I didn't want, you know, divorces and people dying and getting sick and being broke and having a car break down. And I definitely didn't want to have to go to work every day. So I think I was tricked. <laughs> and I would say kind of, sort of. Um, what I know and understand about planning for these lives and the experience of planning it in theory and then coming down here and living it. Um, it's in some ways a little bit like childbirth, right? not something you ever really truly want to go through it's painful it's not fun uh, but it's hugely rewarding it gets you this amazing child which is a love like most people never know in their lives at least initially before the child grows up and becomes mm -hmm. a teenager <laughs> and makes those free will choices um, and if you talk to a woman right after childbirth, she's like, I would never freaking do this again. She remembers every ache and pain and discomfort of the pregnancy and the birth. But as she gets away from that moment, she forgets about the nastiness and the pain and the discomfort. And at some point goes, you know what? It would be nice if Johnny had a little sister. And she volunteers to do it again. And I think it's like that after we've passed through one of these lives and we return to the other side and we're looking at the experiences that we had and the experiences of the members in our soul group and what their goals are. And at some point, I think we go, okay, you know what? I'm ready to do that again. Mm -hmm. So fantastic. we've forgotten how so heavy it's a and it's a great and intense it is. It, it, it's a great <laughs> analogy. Uh, I've never had anybody give me that analogy. That is a fantastic analogy. But you know what popped into my head? The most messed up thing ever. Go for it. It is like Einstein would look at that situation and say, You're just, it's insanity. You're just making the same mistake over and over again, expecting a different result. But is it a mistake? I don't know. Because what it is is an experience, and we're adding to the pattern of human experiences. And I think each time when we're sitting down and we're planning one of these, it's like, I did pretty good with that, or I didn't do very well with that. Mm -hmm. What if I changed things this way and this way and this way, and I tried it by... Wanting the fame and fortune, but never getting the fame and fortune. What does that allow me to experience and develop in myself? Keith Richards stole my life. He stole your life. Well, you can have words with him when you cross I, I, over. I, I might I'm, I might just file a lawsuit now. Like, man sues Keith Richards for stealing his life. In the court of karmic retribution. <laughs> By God, Keith Richards, you have something to answer for. <laughs> Do you believe in things like the Akashic Records? Absolutely. I work with the Akashic Records regularly. Um, I think there are a number of ways that it can be 
what I want to say, envisioned or accessed. I see it, you know, most people are like, oh, it's this library and you go and you can pull down a book and look at lives and this kind of stuff. I don't really see it that way when I go in to work with it. It's, it's, it's a, a gorgeous image. Mm -hmm. if you, you've ever seen Blue Goldstone? how you've got this incredible translucent deep blue with yeah. these little specks and sparkles in it. It looks a lot like that. And each of these little sparkles is kind of connected out to other little sparkles into this amazing glittery web of experiences. Mm -hmm. And some are brighter than others. Some are darker than others. Some have more color, some have less color, but it's this beautiful interconnectedness of life and life experiences and lessons learned. When people experience things like Akashic Records or to I do the Akashic Records meditation, you know, there's, you know, there's tons and tons of these guided meditations out there, visualize this, visualize that. Yeah. But my opinion is that not, there's no right or wrong. I think it's just going to happen naturally tailored to the individual. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true. In fact, I used to be frustrated with those meditations, <laughs> which is kind of ironic, um, because my soul is deeply involved in Akashic Records and Akashic Record work on the other side. We, we all have careers on the other side as well, and mine is deeply involved in that Akashic Records stuff. But before I realized any of that, I gone through a few of these meditations and they're like, go oh, into the library and grab the book and flop it open to the, and my book was always empty. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> like, That's why is this that really is so freaking frustrating. And I think there were a couple of reasons my book was always empty. Uh, the first one was I have this tendency to want to cheat and know where I'm supposed to go next. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I think my higher self is not going to allow me to, to do that because part of, I think, my experience here is the allowing and the curiosity of unfolding. And peeking in the book for me would be cheating. <laughs> um, but the other is a more profound reason. And that is I'm one of the ones that writes the book. And it's like I need a, a higher level of permission to access that than just going through one of these meditations and pulling the book off the shelf. Hmm. It and could be, too, that, because you're more clear cognizant. I think people that are more clear cognizant tend to, well, you know, you, you, you're, wait, you're, wait, you're waiting for, 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 for a, a word, but... What eventually happens is it just comes up as an idea. Yeah. And it might not ha necessarily happen during the meditation because the mind yeah. might not be clear enough. You might get it when you're taking a shower or waking up in the morning yeah. when your mind is more clear. Well, and it's very contextual a lot of times, the clear cog that arrives for me. And so if I'm not in a context, it's not going to come. The other challenge, I think, with that particular form of meditation, many of these guided meditations are extremely visual mm -hmm. in, are. in their presentation. They're, they're all very... Yeah, um, imagine this and do this. And that's not always a good doorway in for everyone. There are very few people who are actually clairvoyant 
clairaudient is more likely, clairsentient is more likely, claircognizant is more likely. Um, and so if you find someone who's aware of the different, uh, what I want to say, predispositions, they can write one that incorporates all of that that's perhaps more inclusive. Mm -hmm. But that's that was the other problem was it's all visual and yeah there ain't nothing in that book for me. <laughs> right, it's it, yeah. like, like almost like a, a regular meditation where I'm just trying to focus on my breath and and not really. Yeah. Like, I know like you can't really fight off your thoughts because you can't. The more you try to get rid of your thoughts, yeah, the worse you it gets. Have to go. So Thank you kind of just have that. to sit there and kind of just let it, let go, it go and wait almost for it to come. Yeah. Yeah. I got into the habit of inviting it every morning uh, in the form of my my best time to meditate is first thing in the morning because I'm Mine already too. in that kind of theta relaxed mode. And so I wake up enough to go, okay, I'm awake. And then I ask with, in my mind, I, I kind of picture my mind becoming this vessel, this open vessel that things can drop into. And I ask, what is the single most important thing to do today to move me on my mission? And something will always appear in that vessel, whether it's call so-and-so or go to the bookstore or whatever the mundane thing happens to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I've, I've gotten over being disappointed when it's something really simple and mundane, and I just go, okay, Roger, and I put it at the top of my list, whatever it is. Hmm. You do any dream work? I'm really, really dream work handicapped. <laughs> Super unusual that I remember any of my dreams. When I do, they're really profound and, and useful, but I've not become skilled in dream work. Hmm. What scares you the most? Hmm. The scariest moment that I've had up to this point, and I don't know if it would get any scarier than that, and I've solved it, <laughs> but there was a moment, it was a couple of years after I woke up, uh, that I ended up under psychic attack. And to that point, I had been, what do I want to say? I'd been reaching up outside of myself and like connecting out of the top of my head to like higher self and God and all of that source, wonderful energy up there. And under this particular attack, I couldn't. It's like I was trapped in this bubble. And that was a really panic inducing moment for me. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm completely cut off from God. And then I, I kind of breathed for a moment because I couldn't sense my guides. I couldn't, I'm completely in this bubble isolated. And then it occurred to me that it's not possible to cut me off from God. It's that I've been reaching outside of myself to connect with God. But if God is omnipresent, they can't cut me off from God. And God is in, inside of me. I, God is inside of this bubble with me, and I can connect with source inside this bubble with me. And I found it was the first time I found that in myself. Mm. And so there was a huge blessing that came from that psychic attack. 
Interesting. Um, do you ever do any out of body stuff? Uh, not Ast- deliberately. <laughs> astral travel. <laughs> not deliberately. I have been pulled out of my body a couple of times, and this is partly how I know that, what my soul job is on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've been pulled out of my physicality a few times to do like soul contract renegotiations. I want to go renegotiate mine. <laughs> it's possible to do that. I think I'm getting too old to live the life I wanted to live. <laughs> you might need a plan B life. Yeah. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> it, it, it gets tough when you get into your 50s for the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. The next lifetime, I'm trading with Keith. You can have this one. <laughs> Who do you know? What do you think he has planned on the next one? It may not be sex, drugs, and rock and roll next yeah. time. Yeah, he might have my life of like get up every day and go to work. <laughs> <laughs> he might. He might be like, I want a life of anonymity where I can just play my guitar and enjoy myself and not have to worry about crowds of people. <laughs> paparazzi, the spotted paparazzi. <laughs> I would live for that. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on and talking with me today. And before we wrap it up, where is the best place for my listeners to find you? All right. Well, there are two doors into Zofia land. I already mentioned one of them. If you're just kind of curious to come and poke around and maybe learn a little something about yourself, you can take the superpower quiz at superpowerquiz.us. If you are in a different spot, however, where you have a lot more urgency around what's going on in your life. If you're in a stuck place and you feel like you need a hand out of that place, I do a 20-minute consult with people. You can get one of those at bookzofiacoffeechat.com. It is completely free. It is no strings. You will leave with a plan to solve your stuckness. And one of the options will be to work with me, obviously, but you will also have a plan that you can work on your own. Hmm. Should you choose to exercise your free choice that way. Awesome. And that's it. Those are the only two places. That's the two places where you can connect with me directly. I am of course available on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Just look for Zofia Renea. That's Z-O-F-I-A. R-E-N-N-E-A. I'm the only Zofia Renea out there. <laughs> How about the podcast? The podcast. The radio you can show. find the podcast always at SovereignSelf.live. And if it's 4 p.m. Pacific, you will get the new show. And if it's not, you'll get the archives. And you can dig through three and a half, almost four years of soulful conversations and awakening and how you walk with a foot in both worlds. Awesome. So you'll have to send me the links to, to all those because I'm not going to remember them off the top of my head. I can totally do that. And then I can put them in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure thank having you. you. Hope you do it again. And Absolutely. Hang on for one moment, and I am just going to play the outro. Good. And then go get your blueberry muffin. That's a good one. Wawa probably. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. 
You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochilio.